Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 544, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, Agent of Hugs. Oh, Not bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know that famous saying, Ryan, hugs not bad stuff. Hugs not bad stuff. I've, that's got to be on a t-shirt. Um, that... Please make me that shirt and someone just send it to me. <laughs> um, Ryan, how, yes. how was your week? Let's see. It's a little chaotic in a lot of good ways. My wife has decided to redo the upstairs bathroom nautically themed, and it's really it's going to be super cool, but they have to pull out the vanity and the toilet. Are you putting a toilet. ship in there? Um, Do you got a Kraken? May. I'm good. Ooh, I wish I get a big like picture of a Kraken to put on it. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. that sounds dope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have, it's going to be great when it's done, but we're dealing with that. And Catherine, my wonderful two and a half year old, is very cranky, very two years old right now, partially because her molars are coming in. And so Ugh, she's... I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> I grow teeth all the time. And it makes me so angry. <laughs> I know. You've thrown teeth at me before when we shared an office. It was real weird. So it's a little chaotic over here, but it's all good. I'm excited for all the new stuff that we're watching and reading and, and hyping about for Marvel. What about you? Well, I went to Florida over the weekend, mm. and we went basically straight from the airport to my father-in-law's house, sat there for a couple of days, and then immediately back. But it was so lovely. He has been fighting cancer, and he is officially done with medical treatments Hooray. for the time being. Obviously, that has been a huge thing. We're super thrilled, and he had a birthday, so we went to go celebrate and be together as a family, and it was so nice. And you know what else? Florida's freaking warm, and it's so nice. And, like, what are we doing? Dummies up here? It's 28 degrees today? I could be sitting on the sand, but nope. Yeah, but then it turns into a swamp most of the year. It's disgusting. It's horrible. Your, like, greatest weakness is heat. Yeah. (laughs) It, it just makes me just so sad and angry. Cranky and sweaty. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. Hot and damp. Hot and damp. Welcome to the show. Hot and damp. Let's talk about more damp things because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's <laughs> happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV, whatever we're excited about, especially all things damp. What do we got in store this week? Well, this week we have on the writer slash artist of Hulk Grand Design, Jim Rugg. And we're also going to have a peek into what is to come for the amazing Spider-Man. Bum, bum, bum. There's a really big issue out this week. So maybe we'll maybe we'll give somebody a call and get some some sweet clues on that. But you know what the biggest thing is that's out this week? What's that? Marvel Studios Moon Knight Episode 1. Can you believe Woo-hoo! it? It's here. Yeah. So excited. So good. There's twists and turns. And I think a lot of stuff that hasn't been revealed about the series yet, which is really good. This is what Marvel Studio, one of the many things Marvel Studios does so well is, you know, showing a little bit, but keeping so much back. So you are full of surprises and cool moments and, and excitement as you get into these shows. I don't want to spoil the first episode too much, but what was your favorite non-spoilery thing from the first episode? There are these moments where... Oscar Isaac's character is going into a, a, he's in a situation and then there's like a, a shift and then it, it like changes perspective. I'll say this is like me dancing around spoilery bits yeah. and the way it does that and the way it tells the story and those moments are so fun, exciting, mm-hmm. kind of intense, scary, 
like it, it runs the gamut of emotions. And I think it does the job so well of, of showing that there's something going on with this character that you're not fully aware of, especially early on. And even as you get further into the series, it still plays with that a lot. And um, yeah, I think those are my favorite moments. Those those get really exciting. I have two words for you. Cupcake truck. Oh, my God. Right. And that, that was part of what I'm talking about, like yeah. that whole sequence. And it's just like, man, it's so good. And Ethan Hawke. The character of Harrow is so good. And compelling, like a really compelling villain. Like the thing that always messes me up about so many of the Marvel Studios series is you're like, I don't know, I kind of like on this villain side, like some of the <laughs> stuff they're saying, like not all of it, like it, it goes too far, but like some of their philosophy, you're like, I'm kind of on board with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, everybody, you can watch the first episode of Marvel Studios Moon Knight only on Disney+. Plus. New episodes premiere each week on Wednesdays, and there's going to be tons of support across all the Marvel channels. You can check out Marvel.com for our Marvel must-have spotlight on the toys and the merch and such. We do that for every time we have these great Marvel Studios productions out. And then, of course, stay tuned here to This Week in Marvel and all the other Marvel channels for real fun behind-the-scenes stuff. Lorraine and I both did tons of interviews and videos things and it's gonna be real good hey lorraine you know in june we have the new comic marvel fortnite zero war coming which is really cool crossover between marvel comics and fortnite really touching on the universes there so as we get closer to that we're actually doing some really cool variant covers across mm -hmm. a bunch of other comics that spotlight marvel characters coming face to face with fortnite characters so you've got like captain america sam wilson with omega captain carter and cuddle team leader captain marvel and mm -hmm. dark bomber um and a whole bunch more i'm cuddle team leader cuddle team leader is a good name we put up a whole gallery of these first eight covers on marvel.com so you can check those out and of course here we're going to have more coverage and behind the scenes of marvel fortnite zero war also i want to say that there used to be pillow fights in union square like big <laughs> like big sort of just show up and you can pillow fight and my pillow fighting name was cuddle death and i had a shirt made that is the end anyways moving on wait a minute um, how many people are in these pillow fights? What is going on there? This was a pre-COVID world, I, I have to say. But it was one of those things. It was like a flash mob kind of thing where they would schedule a pillow fight in Union Square and you would just show up with a pillow and you would pillow fight with strangers. What would you do with that pillow afterwards? Because you're touching people. It's touching the ground. It's on the Honestly, subway. Honestly, not super sanitary. I do believe I changed the pillowcase, but I don't think I had the wherewithal to just burn the pillow. Anyways, moving on. Morbius is out this week. Ryan, I know you're, you've already got plans to see it like 800 times. I'll yeah. try to catch up with you. Yes. Um, but of course, look out for some interviews over on Marvel.com. We've always got great interviews and stuff from our editorial team. And also, go read some Morbius comics on Marvel Unlimited or go pick some up from your local comic shop. There was some fun stuff with Dr. Mike in the recent Amazing Spider-Man Beyond comics. Go back and read his first issues in Amazing Spider-Man. Why not? Yeah. Treat yourself. Mm -hmm. Go get that origin story in your mind and then you can compare and contrast. I always think that's honestly really fun to go read origin stories before you watch a show or a movie or whatever it is and say like, what did they use and what's different? And like, what was inspired by the original series and where did they deviate? And like, or other series they pulled from. I don't know. I, I get a lot of um, joy out of it. I do too. I mean, it's it's real neat. That's kind of the, the fun stuff we get to do also on the site, putting up 
you know, articles about these things. So it's all really neat. The Dr. Mike stuff in the recent Amazing Spider-Man Beyond comics is when the Daughters of the Dragon, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing were hanging out with Morbius and Colleen just kept calling him Dr. Mike. And it was, it's real fun. But yeah, seeing those characters together was a blast. Go check those out. You know, and talking about Amazing Spider-Man Beyond, the recent run of uh, Spider-Man comics, this week we had the release of Amazing Spider-Man number 93, which is the whole big culmination of the Beyond storyline. Big, bombastic, epic close to the whole thing. And to really dig into it without getting too spoilery, we should probably talk to somebody. We should get somebody on the twin phone. I know who to call. Ghostbusters. Not Ghostbusters. We're going to call Nick Lowe, Spider Executive Editor, friend of the show. Let's give him a ring. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Ring, 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 ring. Nick Lowe's phone. Ring, 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 ring. Hello? Uh, hello? What? How did this phone get into my bedroom? Oh, um, we just leave <laughs> phones in various bedrooms across the United States in case we need to call them. Okay, hold on. I'm just going to walk to my office. Clump, 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 clump. Okay, I'm, I'm in my office. Oh, hey, hey, guys. So good to hear from you. You too, Nick. It's always a pleasure. You're one of our oldest and most favoritest guests here on the show. And there's a lot been going on with Spider-Man comics of late. We are in Spider-Man's 60th anniversary year. There's a new Amazing Spider-Man coming up. But while we got you on the horn... We want to tell people a little bit about what's been happening in Spider-Man Beyond. So for anybody who hasn't been reading and tisk tisk to them, oh. can you give a brief summary of what they should know about Spider-Man Beyond? In Amazing Spider-Man 75, Peter Parker learns that there's another Spider-Man in town, and he learns that another Spider-Man is Ben Riley. Ben Riley is back. He's been back for a few years. He came back during this big, crazy clone conspiracy thing, and he's been Scarlet Spidering it up ever since then, trying to get a grip on his mental state because last time we saw him, he'd been killed and cloned repeatedly and repeatedly by the Jackal. Yeah, so just for any of our listeners who don't know that, Ben Riley is the original Spider-Man oh, clone. Yeah, so original Spider-Clone. And the reason why he is back not as the Scarlet Spider, but as Spider-Man is because back when Peter Parker ran Parker Industries, which was this huge company that made webware, these watches and all kinds of technology, this sweet Spider-Mobile. But at that time, Spider-Man was in his advertising and, and what he didn't realize was that Parker Industries had trademarked Spider-Man as a concept. And the Beyond Corporation, which is this huge multimedia, they make snack foods, they make toilet paper, they make entertainment, they make everything. They snatched up the trademark to Spider-Man. And I'm sure there's nothing wrong with the Beyond Corporation. It's just one of those things that like, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, right? I mean, we've never even, I don't even know who they are. Frankly. Love a good conglomerate. Indeed, indeed. Their name rang a bell, but I'm not really sure why. Anyway, but they bought the trademark to Spider-Man and they hired Ben Riley to be their Spider-Man. They gave him a support team, a handler named Marcus Montplacer, who is fantastic. It's run by a woman named Maxine Danger, who is fantastic and very smart, very capable, very well-dressed as mm -hmm. well. In one of his first days on the job, he and Peter teamed up against the UFOs, one of my favorite villain teams. And the UFOs put Peter basically into the hospital, almost into a coma. And right before Peter went off into his coma, he gave Ben his blessing to be Spider-Man. And Ben Spider-Man and Spider-Man and Spider-Man. And over the Beyond arc, he faced Craven. He faced Doc Ock. He beat the tar out of both of them. And he got his tar beaten out of him a little bit too. But what started getting crazy with it was we started learning more about Ben's background and, and his mental state and some deals he had made with the Beyond Corporation as his clone body is not perfect. 
and started having some memory issues and giving some memory issues to himself. And when he figured out the Beyond Corporation, when he figured out what they were up to, which is he was part of their superhero program. We revealed mid-story that they also had a supervillain program that was terrifying. Ben wanted to take the fight to them. And their first thing they did was they captured him and they wiped some of his memory of the things that he discovered. And it caused him more and more problems. And so leading up to this big climax, Ben has decided he's had enough of the Beyond Corporation. He's going to take the fight to the Beyond Corporation both to do what's right, but also to get his memory back. And because of his mental state, his idea of what is right isn't super clear right now because he's forgotten. Like one of the first images of the story and the one that is in my brain, I haven't been able to get rid of it. Thanks a lot, Patrick Gleason, is Uncle Ben with like a big gaping hole in his face with like web kind of things waving in the wind of it. And so these formative memories that were honestly implanted by the jackal, but he felt them as real memories of his own, are disappearing. And so he's got this power, but he knows there's some other part of that phrase. There's with great power, and he can't quite put his finger on that. And that's where we kind of start off in Amazing Spider-Man 93. Ben is taking the fight to the Beyond Corporation. And what is going to happen? Yeah, this is such an exciting issue. I'm really excited for folks to read it. And obviously, I do not want to spoil any... (laughs) part of it. But what can you say about what sort of maybe repercussions that this issue might have in the Marvel Universe? Oh boy, there's a bunch. So we've talked a lot about Ben. One thing we didn't talk about was Peter Parker. So Peter did indeed slip into a coma. He was in a coma for about six issues and he's been slowly working himself back into fighting shape. And he hasn't gotten there, but he doesn't have a choice anymore. And so one of the things that we see a lot in 93 is Peter trying to talk some sense into Ben, trying to help Ben. But the big question is being, what does Ben see this as? And, you know, it's probably not the biggest spoiler for fans of comic books. There's some fisticuffs, (laughs) spider to spider fisticuffs that are awesome and terrifying. So this leads to a big conflict between the two. And it goes to some pretty terrifying and terrible places that have a really big impact I'm trying to decide what I can spoil or not. But suffice it to say, it doesn't go great for Ben Riley. And to be honest, it also doesn't go great for Peter. No. <laughs> it doesn't really go great for anyone except for maybe some beyond shareholders. Damage control, maybe? Yeah, damage yeah. control has a lot. That said, like Beyond kind of takes care of it in their own way that doesn't <laughs> true, seem to affect true. much outside of there. So like they are pretty buttoned up in some ways organization. But it is super intense. We also, and one of my favorite things about this whole Beyond arc is when we were prepping to do this story, we were looking at Ben Riley's history. And one of the things that we love that we found, and I really love what we did with it, is Ben's true love is a woman named Janine Godsby. Janine was one of the first people who was kind to Ben when he, Ben Riley first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man 149 when the Jackal cloned him. And after that adventure, Ben kind of, like many comic book people do, jumped on a motorcycle and rode off into the sunset. Janine was one of the first people who was nice to him. And she, kind of like him, had a very traumatic backstory, a very traumatic history that landed her in jail. And Ben was also one of the only people who was ever compassionate and kind to her. And their relationship and who she is has been one of my favorite things. Janine is someone who spent a lot of time in a federal penitentiary and so she has been through some pretty terrible stuff 
and she's not someone to be trifled with. And that was one of my favorite things about this story is getting to see what a rich character Janine is. And I think what we added into her story, what a rich and strong character she is and will continue to be moving forward. For sure. And, you know, speaking of moving forward, the end of the book points us in a whole bunch of different directions, which is really cool. There's a lot of stuff to come, including a brand new Amazing Spider-Man number one. I mean, we got Spider-Man number one, and then we're jumping almost 900 issues ahead to issue number 900, (laughs) not too far after that. What's going on? Oh, man, there is a lot. Before we move on completely, I do want to just make sure I highlight Patrick Gleason and Brian Valenza on our team and Joe Caramagna, our letterer on 93, who did an amazing work. Pat was our artistic backbone spine of Beyond and hugely important. But for this new volume is being written by Zeb Wells, who's on Beyond. Zeb has a new visual partner heading into it. It is none other than maybe the greatest artist ever draw Spider-Man, John Romita Jr. Johnny is back at Marvel. He dabbled in a big issue of FF, But ever since then, he's been working on Amazing Spider-Man, and I couldn't be more excited. This is a dream team supreme. I've loved Johnny's work pretty much my whole life. I first encountered it on, I think it was Uncanny X-Men number 297 as an X-Baby. I loved it so much. And I, at the time, I think I didn't love it the first time I saw it. And I think it was like around 304 of Uncanny X-Men that I was like, okay, I love this guy. That's I love it. such a it. good run. Oof. But I mean, that, that's so many great artists. Like that was like me for Kirby's art was like that. Joe Mad Because they draw stuff in their own vision and you have to wrap your head around what they're doing. Anyway, then I went back and I, of course, I checked out his Daredevil run, his Iron Man run, his many Spider-Man runs. And of course, the run he did with J.M. Straczynski was huge to me as a fan with maybe the best spider fight of all time with Spider-Man and Moreland and that one. So I was so thrilled to get him on here. And then Zeb is one of my favorite writers of comics of all time, but one of my favorite spider writers for a couple of his storylines of Shed that he did with Chris Pacello and Emma Rios in there. I loved his Spider-Man Doc Ock year one miniseries that he wrote and he had never had a real run on a spider book. He did a couple of great tangled web issues and him coming back to comics from animation and television. I did my best and I'm so proud of convincing him to take on a book this big. We are working on a bunch of arcs right now and they are incredible. This first arc of amazing Spider-Man is so visceral and so emotionally grounded. And I just cannot wait for it to be in people's hands in April. Yeah. 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 We probably have to let you go back to your little spider world in just a minute, but I do want to mention that there's a brand new Unlimited book as well, right? Oh, yeah. Super proud of that, too. So that is called Spider-Verse Unlimited. It is so cool. The first issue is up right now on Marvel Unlimited. But what it is, it's a new track of Infinity Comics, which are so cool. This first chapter kind of introduced the concept of what Spider-Verse Unlimited is. Basically, the door is open to any and all spider stories in here. This first one is mainly centered on Peter Parker as a entry point into here, but we give hints of the greater Spider-Verse. And then our second issue kicks off a multi-part story about Miles Morales with appearances by Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy from Earth-65. And we have other things already in the kicker coming together really nicely I don't want to announce things before they're announced, but there's characters from all over the Spider-Verse, and I'm super thrilled about it, and I can't wait till people can see what we're building there. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Lots of great stuff coming from the world of Spider-Man. We got Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man coming up. True. Comic Book Day stuff coming up. There's a great Spider-Punk book on the way. And there's even more secrets and things that we haven't even talked about yet. And Amazing Spider-Man 900. I know we hinted at that. I can come back and we could just talk Amazing Spider-Man 900 at some point, too. Sure. We'll run through all 899 previous issues of ASM, and then we'll talk about 900. Perfect. (laughs) Love Love it. Oh, so great to talk to you guys. Thank you guys so much. You're the greatest. Thanks, Thanks, Nick. Nick. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to Nick Lowe for answering the phone that we placed in his bedroom. It's always a delight to know that he's there when we need him. And of course, read Amazing Spider-Man number 93 out this week. There's a ton of those issues for Amazing Spider-Man Beyond on Marvel Unlimited, but the the full series will will be in there in, you know, a couple of months. But you got to get ready for that new Amazing Spider-Man number one real soon. It's going to be a ding dang delight. Read it wherever you get your comic book. Speaking of places you can read comic book, here are more comic book. Coming in July, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, number one. Jean Lu and Yang is back with artist Marcus Toe, and they're going to continue their wonderful Shang-Chi saga this summer with a brand new number one. Number ones are always a wonderful place to jump on if you have not been following the story. There are 12 issues prior. If you want to go back and read those, they are wonderful. Highly recommend, but you don't need to because you can definitely start with Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings number one. Definitely check out the book. It's going to be great. I love this run of Shang-Chi comics. It's, it's so, so freaking good. It's it, especially the last couple of issues when Marcus Toe has been on doing the art with uh, with Gene. And man, it's so good. I'm excited for them to sort of go even bigger and, and bring in the Ten Rings and, and really get people excited. Super hyped for this coming in July. And if you are excited to meet a new character in the X-Men Unlimited comics, Lila Cheney, there's a really cool article spotlighting her. She's an awesome teleporting mutant rock star thief, not like Gambit and not like Dazzler, but like the best of both of them. Kind of, yeah. She's she's more of a rock star than a disco queen than Dazzler. Lila Cheney rules. It's always great to see her pop up in the books, especially in these Infinity comics. Yeah. One of the things we wanted to give a shout out to is a a kind of friend of the family, a fella named Brian Seaman, who's kind of like a friend of the family of ours collectively here on This Week in Marvel. He's a three-time Paralympian. He's a huge Marvel fan. I will forgive him for naming one of his dogs Gambit. I'm sure the dog is like a billion times cooler, better, smarter, smells nicer than our own Gambit. But he's got this amazing story. There was a, a story on him on the Disney Parks blog. He's just a huge Marvel fan. He has a really nice story and a hugely inspirational to a ton of people. He is a quadruplet and one of five kids. He was paralyzed at birth due to a hospital accident, but he works as a special education educator at the University of Illinois, also trains for the USA team for track and field. He recently competed at the Tokyo Olympic Games. He has placed and come in first at the Walt Disney World Disney Marathon. He won the Dopey Challenge six times in his age group. And if you don't know what the Dopey Challenge is at the Walt Disney World Marathon, the Dopey Challenge is doing every single race that they do on their marathon race weekend. So the 5K, 10K, half marathon, full marathon, the whole kit and caboodle. It is a lot. And Brian did all that and he's just got this amazing story. So if you want to go check him out, we'll put a link for the Disney Parks blog so everybody can learn more about Brian. That is very impressive. Congratulations, Brian. 
keep kicking butt. So, Ryan, yes. that's all great and wonderful, mm-hmm. but what's going on in Marvel's pull list this week? Well, we have part two of our conversation with executive editor Tom Brevoort coming on to do our reading club talking about New Avengers Illuminati, and we get a lot of details in these two conversations with Tom. And then on Marvel's pull list, available wherever you get your podcasts, our big picks this week were Captain Marvel number 37, which is super fun. Carol and the gang, like, go to Las Vegas for a while. There's some really fun moments and really heartbreakingly tragic moments in this issue because it's Captain Marvel. It's so good. We've got Immortal X-Men number one, which if you needed Mr. Sinister being catty and wonderful, (laughs) this is your jam. Uh, Spider-Woman number 21, which is the final issue of one of my favorite series of the last two years. It is a perfect comic book. And... Hulk Grand Design Monster number one, one of our picks this week. So speaking of Hulk Grand Design Monster, we have an interview this week with Jim Rugg, who is the writer, artist, colorist, letterer. He did the whole package here for the book. He's a huge Marvel fan. He's a, an amazing cartoonist. Go check out his book, Street Angel. But we talked to him about his love for Hulk, his friendship with previous Grand Design creators Ed Piscor and Tom Scioli, who did X-Men and Fantastic Four, respectively, and just getting into what it's like telling 40 years of Hulk history across two comic books. It's real cool. I had a blast talking with Jim. Hope you all enjoy the conversation. Jumpin' Jim Rugg, welcome to This Week in Marvel. How are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. Happy to be here. What is your Marvel origin story? How'd you first get connected to the comics, characters, stories? What was it for you? I started delivering newspapers when I was 10, which gave me some disposable income. And the first thing I did was went and bought comics because my parents hated comics and thought that (laughs) that was a waste of money and I was too old for them. So I started buying comics then. And the first comic I bought was an Incredible Hulk comic in Marvel Comics Presents. You know, I really didn't know anything, but I was drawing all the time. You know, I was that kid in school with my head down drawing wrestlers and movie characters and things like that. And the comics made perfect sense to sort of like what I was already interested in, even though I wasn't reading them yet. And I bought a Hulk comic where the Hulk was gray because like, I love the Hulk. You know, he looks cool as this gray version. And I wanted to know what's going on here. Hell yeah. Marvel Comics Presents, you said? Yes. So late 80s, early 90s? That's exactly right. I think probably 88, maybe, if if I had to put a, a year on it. Sweet spot. Those books were super seminal for me, too, because they came out every other week. And I would pick up Marvel Comics Presents when I went to the supermarket with my mother because they had them on sale in the supermarket. And I knew every other week there was going to be a new issue. And they had like these really great covers that were wraparound. And like it was just jam-packed with stories and characters. And it was weird in the best way because you would get like Sam Keith Wolverine stuff, which is mind-blowing to a kid. If like, you you know, if you're used to, yeah, right. Like if you're used to regular standard superhero stuff, which is awesome, but then you see a Sam Keith Wolverine where his proportions are all weird and his clothes are like in tatters and, and he's fighting cyber and he's doing all this stuff. Or then you get Weapon X in there. I mean, like there's so much cool stuff. I'm so excited that other people have that connection to MCP. It's, it was the best. (laughs) We got to get to your big Marvel work. You've done a couple of little Marvel things for us in the past, but now you're writing, you're drawing Hulk Grand Design, the third in our big Grand Design series. For any of our listeners who don't know, what is Hulk Grand Design? Hulk Grand Design is basically if you took the history of the Hulk 
and you tried to tell it as one massive story. Imagine the Hulk is a treated like a biography subject. And so I went and reread Hulk comics, all of them, up to like the year 2000, and tried to pull out a story, you know, like a story of this character's life. And that is basically the pitch, you know, of, of what these grand designs are. It's looking at these characters with very rich and detailed histories and kind of looking at it almost through a journalistic lens or something where you're really taking a snapshot of their bigger life. And in comics, that means cool artists, iconic covers for the Hulk, the big fights. You know, so I say if you're a longtime Hulk fan, this should be like your favorite book that's ever been made because it is a love letter to the Hulk. And if you're brand new and maybe you've seen Hulk cartoons or video games or movies, this is the perfect comic book to check out. So I know it's weird to cater to that broad of an audience, but I mean, this is me getting to do a dream project. Hulk was the first character I connected to as a little kid. And whenever Marvel asked me about this, Hulk was my first and only choice. So, you know, you get all of those pieces together and hopefully it's a very unique Hulk comic for Hulk fans and uh, new Hulk fans to come. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I'm working on a project with some folks and one of the people asked me for Hulk recommendations. He's like, uh, I'm reading Immortal Hulk right now. What should I read? And so I gave off the top of my head a whole bunch of books. And, you know, I was like, well, if you've never read Peter David stuff, start there. But then there's all this and that and coming out Hulk Grand Design, which will be a really great way to look at his career, I should say, or like his life as a whole. And I've only read the first issue so far. It's stretched between two books, right? Two books. Yeah. And actually two standalone books. The first one being Hulk Grand Design Monster and the second one Hulk Grand Design Madness. And once you read the second book, Ryan, I think you'll see like how well those actually split. For most of Hulk's history, at least for the first couple of decades, he's a monster. It's a monster comic. One of the things that makes Hulk great is he's different than all the other popular Marvel characters in that he's not a superhero. Like he's a monster. And that first 250, 300 issues is just like he's fighting other colorful monsters. And as a kid, that was it. That was like the dream book. You couldn't have done something better than having monster fights. That second book, the madness portion, is you talk about Peter David, the writer, I think, who is most associated with The Incredible Hulk, wrote The Hulk for 12 years, plus coming back for various specials since then, wrote a novel for The Hulk. He really takes the character in different directions. And we get to see interiors of The Hulk. We get to see different versions of The Hulk, which reflect these different pieces of his personality and you know how they can all try to survive together. And so you get Gray Hulks and Green Hulks and Smart Hulks and Monster Hulks battling it out, you know, along with Banner in that second book. And it makes for a fun read because it is a very different take. So you get to see the Hulk develop in all his different forms. Yeah. I love the first book. I loved Monsters. It was great. It's Thank you. You're welcome. I'm Look, I knew I was going to love it going in. So I was like, I was just psyched to read it finally. And reading the Hulk story of those, you know, 25 years, give or take, that you cover in the first book, more or less. <laughs> That's right. It's so freaking tragic, man. Heartbreak after heartbreak and like all the stuff with Jarella, who's this love of his. And there's a moment where he's like, I miss my friends. And I was like, God, you know, you think of the Hulk as this big, awesome creature and smashing and all this stuff. But then you, you're reminded, especially in reading this, of like, he's just had the worst luck and just <laughs> the most horrible stuff happened to him. Man, I don't know about. <laughs> I might have overshot that side of it. There's also fun fights. And, There's definitely and a fun lot of, fights. Uh, I internalize a lot of stuff, I guess. And so I was reading it and looking at the the sadder parts. But there's amazing, definitely huge fights and great moments. And 
a lot of recreations of cool stuff that we go through. You mentioned covers, and I really love the page from Secret Wars, the classic, iconic bit there. That must have been a lot of fun. That moment in Secret Wars, and I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything explaining this to everybody, but it's all the Marvel heroes fighting this villain that's beyond, you know, the Beyonder, like outside of the scope of Marvel comics as we knew them up to that point. And at one point, the Hulk is literally has to like hold up a mountain to protect the heroes. And when I was a kid, you know, I didn't realize the rules were the Hulk's going to survive this or all the heroes are going to survive or, you know, any of that stuff. All I knew is this is terrifying. Like what is happening here? And that comic stuck with me. It's one of those genuine moments. It's kind of funny, like whenever you get into these conversations with fans and we have these moments of like, I was reading this comic and this one particular scene, who knows, maybe I was the right age, the right moment, whatever it is has stuck with me throughout my life. And that Secret Wars moment with the Hulk is one of those moments for me. Like that was always like, I love this character. And is there anything more impressive than what happens here? And he's still, he's got such an attitude in that moment. The original Marvel Superhero Secret Wars series, it hits a lot of people in very specific ways. Going through it again recently, looking at that, I was like, it's a really great piece of work. You get these amazing moments, but you also continue the characterizations that are key that resonate with us 40 years on. As I get older, I grow more fond of it and appreciate it in new ways, which I think is special. That's a big part of these back issues and these reprints that we get in the archives is that they are these moments in time now that are separate from like, okay, that was a good comic or that was a good story or the art looked good or whatever. There's also like this historical element at this point, you know, like I was reading some of this stuff and I would remind myself like, these are like period pieces, you know, you're seeing, even in the background, you're seeing the stuff of like, oh, this was done in 1971. Look at what people look like, what they wore, the cars that they were driving. That element adds something, you know, it does do this thing where like maybe as a story, it's not as successful as you would expect your comics to be today. But as you say, like there are these moments that, you know, we've been now reading about for the last 25 years, you know, significant things here and there. And I think that history is it's a weird thing to talk about. It doesn't totally work from a critical standpoint, but it's very significant. We read this stuff and it has meaning, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned you read all the friggin' Hulk comics, which is <laughs> an undertaking. We talked to, I don't know if you know Douglas Walk, yes. writer, historian, great man in comics. He just put a book called All the Marvels, which is 27,000 comics that he read, which is great. That's a lot of books. I would assume you read a couple fewer Hulk books, but it's still yes. a lot because you have to branch out not just the main Hulk series. There's still some more that you got into, right? Yeah, there's a lot of satellite stuff. You mentioned Secret Wars a minute ago. That was a series that I revisited to try to figure out, you know, in all these big crossover events, you look at them and think, what did the Hulk do in Infinity Gauntlet? You know, it's, but you know, you, you do dig into all of these different stories. And of course, you have miniseries and one shots and things, annuals. Like there are a lot of places for the Hulk. There's the Defenders. There's a lot more involvement. I mean, that's the Marvel Universe, you know. So once you start digging in, they are connected. There's a great Iron Man trilogy that is one of the great Hulk fights. It's all set in Iron Man. So, you know, again, like you're, you're kind of chasing these moments that are historical and significant to the character, but you chase them through a lot of different books, for sure. You know, I think the Incredible Hulk series, that first volume runs to like 490-something, so about 500 issues there. <laughs> it's an undertaking, you know. It's interesting to read... 20 issues in a night, you know, and think like this was actually almost two years worth of comics here. And they weren't really designed to be read, you know, in a row. It's definitely an experience. And that was neat to see, you know, like over the course of 40, 50 years, you get to see like writing styles change where suddenly they are built to be read, you know, go read Planet Hulk in one sitting, you know, 
so it's interesting to see those changes too to the comics format and i tried to recognize some of that in grand design you know i i do like the formal elements of comics so you put those in maybe to entertain me and other cartoonists but it's part of the Hulk story and part of his evolution. And I think that part is some of the fun. I don't know how Douglas Walk did it. You know, <laughs> as you were saying that, I thought, yeah, we should all like get a group raid on BetterHelp or something like that <laughs> to undo some of this reading. But it is interesting. Even seeing like the age groups, you know, it feels like those early Hulks, they're really written for a younger reader. And that changes. You can almost track that progression, you know, into the Peter David era where mm -hmm. it's like, you know, we have teenagers reading these or 20 year olds, you know, and you can kind of feel that as the storytelling evolves. Yeah. You mentioned the Iron Man fight and variety of different things. How do you determine which moments, which battles, which instances to put into this history of Hulk? How much of it is your own personal affection and biases versus stepping back and looking at what other people might think. How did you sort of whittle it down? Because it's a lot to put into, what is it, like 45, 50 pages, this issue? Yeah, yeah, it is a lot. You know, you're going 500 issues plus some others, basically distilled down into the equivalent of four comic books, 10,000 pages into 80 pages. One answer would be you cut absolutely everything that you can cut. <laughs> And, you know, I wouldn't be lying if I said that, but I definitely, whenever I was reading this, the first thing is trying to figure out, is there a bigger story here? And I think there is. And once I had that story in place, then you make a lot of edits based on that, like what supports that story, what doesn't. You're just not going to be able to represent all 10,000 of those pages. So you do the best you can, you know, you try to tell that bigger story and you do put in those personal moments, you know, like to me, that's part of doing this book. If you follow my body of work, like I work outside the mainstream, I work on weird projects, I do a variety of things following my muse. And so to follow it to a Hulk project is to make it personal, you know, like it's a lot of time that you spend on a book like this, a project like this, you know, we don't have a lot of time. So I, I want to spend mine doing things I love. And that meant you're going to get a Secret Wars <laughs> piece in this. You know, you're going to get these moments that really meant something to me. And, you know, some of those moments, they mean something because they're big to everybody. First appearance of Wolverine, like, come on, is anybody going to argue with you figure out a way to get that in there? So, yeah, it's a combination of those things. And, and really, when I call it a dream project, it's because I wanted to draw this. You know, it was like, figure out the moments that I am excited about drawing, or I think I can bring something new or something special, or you just can't ignore. Yeah, you talk about the first appearance of Wolverine. You've got this limited amount of space, and then you get a full page recreation of that cover, which I thought was rad. It looked cool. And like you change the style a little bit. I think those elements I'm excited for more quote unquote regular Marvel readers to experience and see because you get to have some fun with that kind of stuff with mixed media, with some of the different page layouts and styles. It's a real fun book to check out. Yeah, I really came into it with, I had all sorts of ideas and I would get more ideas as I read more, you know, and it would be things like panel borders or a page layout or having some sort of reprint a panel from like literally scan a panel and reprint it if I'm referencing something, you know, historical. So having like all these ideas, like my goal was get that in there, have a page that's drawn in pencil, you know, reproduced from pencil, have a page that's an ink wash, you know, like there were all these things, whether it was materials or storytelling ideas, you know, you have to have full page splashes. How important are full page splashes to a great, exciting comic book, even though that page real estate is so valuable, but you still have to have those. So you use them for the big moments and stuff. You know, that was my approach to it. So like each page was kind of an adventure. I did them one page at a time from beginning to completion. And each page was a new piece, a, a new chance to like tell that next chapter. 
I'm going to get back into that in a second, but I want to mention the editors on the project, Will Moss and Alana Smith. You mentioned that you got approached by Marvel to do something. How did this project come together? I've been asked that a lot, and I need to go back and actually dig through some emails and figure it out because the way I remember it, and it might be a little bit wrong, Ed Piscor had done X-Men Grand Design, and that book did well. And I think once it comes out and it sells and it's like, oh yeah, this is something people want, you know, they enjoy this. Then Marvel like kind of put out a call to a handful of cartoonists, and it might have been people Ed recommended. One of them, Tom Scioli, who we saw with Fantastic Four Grand Design. I know he was in that list. And again, this is when I was like, well, the Hulk's the one I would want to do, you know, and I put together a kind of a short proposal and sent that in. And I didn't hear anything for a while. You know, Ed continued doing X-Men and then Tom got his book. And about that time, they reached out to me about the proposal that I had sent, which might have been a year or so had gone by at that point. But, you know, you figure out the schedule, took a little bit of time to get that all together, finishing up other projects. And then I was off and running. Will and Alana have been great. You know, I wasn't sure what I needed to turn in. Do you need a complete script? How's this work? And they were very open to my process. You know, like I think early on, I hate to paraphrase people because I end up getting, again, getting details wrong. But basically, Will explained like he recognizes this is a different type of project and that I work differently. And so I would just send in pages as I would finish them. But it was very supportive. So, you know, like even that part of it, I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, I have no complaints about that experience. And whenever I did need something, they would find it. If it was a reference, if it was some kind of editorial note, whatever the case was, like they were there for the support part, but we're pretty much, you know, do your thing. And I think that pays dividends because as I would go along, like I said about those ideas, you know, you start to get a wilder and wilder idea and it's like, well, I'll try it, you know, and we'll see how it actually looks on the page. That kind of develops like a trust, I guess, is probably the word there. Yeah. Listening to great comic book editors explain how they work with amazing cartoonists and creators is really fulfilling for me. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out really well. And thinking about what you were talking about before and your style and the different ideas you wanted to put on, was there anything like, hey, I want to do, when we show the Rampaging Hulk, I'm going to do this to really like emphasize the scattered, angry, crazed aspect of it? Or did you just like submit that page and said, here you go, here's the next one? Yeah, I, I would just submit pages and I would send maybe like half the book, be like, here's 20 pages, you know, and keep working. You know, that was kind of it. It started out as like, here's every piece. And then it was pretty soon. It was like, here's the weekly update. Here's a monthly. Here's the next batch of pages. And, you know, it was based on feedback coming back. Most of the feedback was like, good, you know, keep going. And you hear that a couple of times and it gives you the confidence to just run with this, like lean into these ideas, you know, entertain myself. And hopefully that translates. Yeah. We talked about the different things to include in there and the moments and the, the comic book stuff. But there's also some really cool connections to TV the Incredible Hulk TV show, animated series, stuff with the magazines. There's a Rolling Stone image in there. Was that an actual Rolling Stone issue? Yeah, it's my whole life is pretty much comics. So, you know, if I'm going to get excited about something, it's the Hulk was on a Rolling Stone cover. Much more exciting to me than whatever Rolling Stone usually covers. <laughs> and the cover is drawn by Herb Trimpey, the original Rolling Stone cover. I think it's 1971 or 1972, which is early. You know, this is before the TV show was a thing. That's there because of comics, you know. And it's exciting. And it's Herb Trimpey. You know, it's not just a cool Hulk makes it on a mainstream magazine cover. It's oh, the great Hulk artist is drawing the cover of this pop culture and music magazine. That's cool. Like, it has to go in. You know, that's a big moment in Hulk history. And I tried to look at the Hulk both in the comics, but also outside. The television show, I was exposed to Hulk a lot before I was exposed to Hulk comic books. So that affects the way I look at this. Because I think of the Hulk as, start naming great characters that come out of the 20th century, you know, fictitious characters. 
man, Hulk might be a top 10 character. Everybody in the world knows the Hulk. And proof, you know, beside the Rolling Stone in the book, there is Hulk being created in Japan in an original manga. Again, like 1972. So it really is this phenomena. I wanted to take that into account. I wanted to give some of the context of, yes, he was this superhero character on television whenever a generation of fans were born. I think that part's important too. And I think a lot of people probably can identify with that, especially in today's world of like Marvel and movies and TV. And it's so big. Like I'm sure there are a lot of fans who their first time they interact with a Spider-Man or a Hulk, it's not in a comic book. That's my experience too. And it's kind of the way that I see this stuff. You know, it's amazing. When we were kids, we were so excited at the prospect of, could you imagine a Spider-Man movie? And now we live in this world where it's like the comic books are the source of the biggest pop culture on earth now. It's incredible. You know, like if you're of a certain age, this was some dream that people had that seemed impossible, except now here we are. I know. You mentioned the previous creators of the Grand Design books, Ed Piscor, Tom Scholey for X-Men and Fantastic Four, respectively. I imagine you had a lot of conversations with them about these. Can you explain for our readers your connections to them as well? Yeah. So I do a YouTube video series about comics with Ed Piscor, the creator of the X-Men Grand Design, the first of the Grand Designs. And Tom Scioli, we're all based in Pittsburgh. Tom Scioli often comes on our show, but also travels to conventions with us. And we've known each other for almost 20 years. For a while, we would get together each week just to bring pages and, and sort of like pass them around and talk about what we were doing. And then we started traveling to comic book shows as we started getting published and actually like moving into a career making comics. We started traveling together. So like we've known each other virtually our entire careers. We tend to do everything ourselves. You know, our background is even self-publishing in the beginning where like we were writing and drawing. If the book was in color, we were coloring it, lettering it, all this stuff that usually is broken up into specialists. We didn't know any better and we just wanted to make comics. So that's <laughs> kind of how we evolved. You know, we've been friends for 20 years and it's always awesome seeing whatever new books they're doing. So whenever the grand designs would come up, like they're phenomenal. They felt like steps up for each of them. They both are bringing their A game, which is incredible. And that's sort of the, I don't know, healthy competition, maybe. You don't want to be the guy with the weakest pages. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> There's no weaklings in this trio. And the YouTube channel, put Cartoonist Kayfabe into whatever screen is in front of you, and you will find us. It's looking at comics that influenced us. It's talking to cartoonists about how, you know, their comics and how they make comics you know, looking at comics history, it's a wide variety of things. And we have guests come on that are historians. Warren Bernard frequently comes on. He's a historian that's probably maybe the foremost expert on World War II comics. And so like he often comes on and, you know, I talk about golden age comics, he'll bring something far too valuable to be trusted in my possession, but we'll often show up with some of his collection. And again, it's one more avenue about comics. So uh, yeah, cartoonist kayfabe, all things comics for fans, for other makers, anybody that's into comics. That sounds really cool. Definitely, everybody go check that out. I also want to shout out your book, Street Angel, because the first volume came out in 2004, and I was editor of Secret Stash for Wizard Magazine at the time, and we loved the book, made sure to spotlight it. So I want to make sure our listeners go check that out and, and some of the other books you're working on. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ryan. And that was one of those highlights. You know, back then I had kind of given up on Wizard Magazine, and I should say Cartoonist Kayfabe started with us reviewing Wizard Magazines. That would be one of our historical sources. <laughs> Which sounds funny now that I say it out loud. But yeah, it was really cool whenever uh, Street Angel was spotlighted in there because 
there were only a couple of those types of magazines. You know, it was Comics Journal and it was Wizard, and they were sort of opposed. Uh, you know, which <laughs> one was the, the heel and which one was the baby face <laughs> depends on your favorite characters in comics. Yeah. Use a lot of wrestling terms, kayfabe, babyface, heel. It's good. Big wrestling fan over here too. I want to get back to Hulk. Ask an interesting question. I think when my producers came up with this one, what is the recipe for a good Hulk story? And I want to say, is there one since we see, especially in your book in Monster, and we'll see more in Madness, that he goes through so much that the Hulk can be in so many kinds of stories. He can sort of fill in so many different aspects of storytelling. That's a great question. And I have a terrible answer for you <laughs> because I can tell you, I don't know that there's one formula. You know, I think part of what makes the Hulk this great character that I talk about coming out of the 20th century is one of the best known characters. It is that flexibility. And I was kind of joking around giving you a hard time when you said there are these sad moments, but there are sad moments. Like you don't have a monster story without tragedy. That's the heart of a monster story. So really all you have to do is show what Banner is dealing with as a result of what the Hulk has done or threatens to do. And once Hulk is introduced, that's kind of the formula. And it can be told in a lot of ways. You can do Quentin Tarantino out of time stuff where like we start with the aftermath and now here comes the nightmare of what actually, you know what you've done, you see the results, how do we get here? So, you know, there's lots of ways to tell a great Hulk story. There are some great one and dones. The number is slipping on me, but there's a Jim Starlin drawn issue that always stands out to me with these little kids and their brother had been exposed, I think, to radiation and it turned into a monster. And it's a horror story, but it also has like, it really has the tragedy there. Instead of Bruce Banner, we see these little kids dealing with that fallout. That's a great story. And having Jim Starlin art sure doesn't hurt. Yeah. Thinking about this, thinking about all the cool characters you get to draw. Modoc's my favorite character, so seeing Modoc and Miss Modoc in there was real fun. I, I dug that. Are there any fun Easter eggs or little things that you want fans to check out in these issues? You know, the whole series is really full of Easter eggs. And I'm trying to think of what stands out because I'm sure there are a few, but I'm a little bit... My brain is a little gamma fried <laughs> Sure, I get it. That's a lot of content to absorb and then repurpose and, and put together and remix. It is. And, uh, you know, I hope that as the book comes out and people actually start reading it, that they'll be the ones pointing out those Easter eggs, you know? So I would encourage mm -hmm. people to share that stuff, the stuff that you recognize in there, or maybe background characters that show up. I would definitely say share that stuff on social media because the whole story is essentially an Easter egg. Right on. Jim, it was a damn pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you. I appreciate this book. I'm excited for Madness, everybody go check out Hulk Grand Design. Get it at your local comic shop. Thanks, Ryan. Go pick up Hulk Grand Design wherever you get your books or at your local comic book shop. All right, time to get into our question of the week section. Of course, this is the premiere week for Marvel Studios Moon Knight, available only on Disney+. Plus. So... Question of the week is appropriate. What was your favorite thing about the first episode of Marvel Studios' Moon Knight? You heard Lorraine and I talk about that a bit earlier. My favorite is all the tickle fights. Mm, Lorraine, I think your definition of tickling is a little different from you know the rest when, of the world. When you make a fist and you hit somebody mm -hmm. in the face and you're yep. like, tickle, tickle. Wow. <laughs> all right. Well, and on that note, let us know. <laughs> you Lorraine can tweet liked us. the tickling. I liked the, the the wild beats and great moment. Oh, man, the end of that episode. So much to talk about. I don't want to spoil anymore or, or get into it, but it was great. Of course, you can tweet your answers to us using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel. You can email them to twimpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 
this week in Marvel, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show, both in your tweets and your emails, um, and try not to get too spoilery, if you can. Just for everybody else, we want to make sure we don't spoil too much. So our question of the week last week was, what is your favorite Hulk story in the spirit of Hulk grand design? And we got some great stuff here. First up, Carrot Scraps at Carrot Scraps said, Indestructible Hulk has stayed with me because of its interpretation of the Hulk persona. Making an analogy to living with a disability, Bruce explains that instead of trying to cure himself, he should instead manage the Hulk. With my disabilities, I can really relate. Also, the majority of the Peter David run are some of my favorite Hulk stories ever heck yeah i indestructible hulk is a great one to bring up i'm glad you did care scraps thank you oscar at jump shot broken tweeted immortal hulk for sure al ewing's take on hulk bruce and betty ross slash harpy are the best so far even the alpha flight cast is intriguing and build the story further the artist top notch as well with beautiful covers by alex ross I don't think it's um, it's talked enough about the run for Immortal Hulk, the importance and the power of those Alex Ross covers, because he's such a huge Hulk fan. He wanted to do those covers, and he did the covers for the entire 50-odd issues of mm-hmm. Immortal Hulk, and they're so good. They play so deeply into the story that Al and the team are telling. They're really masterful. Al and Al. Moving on, we got Shelby K at Shell B K3, who agrees saying, Immortal Hulk, please, please, please. Yes, you can have Immortal Hulk, Shelby. TE at TE underscore org tweeted, World War Hulk and Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk are my favorite comic series based on the Hulk. Ooh, that Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk is so good. Damon Lindelof and Laniel Yu, delicious. Remember when he tries to smash the planet because he's so mad that they were like, you're too much trouble. Let's put you on a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> the Illuminati was just trying to get rid of him. Like, I don't know, just send him to space, I guess. You know, he tried to smash the planet. What he should have done? Hack the planet. Hack the planet. Hack I the think... planet. <laughs> World words we can all live by. All right. Matt Maybray at Matt Maybray said anything with Joe Fix It. Also a classic. Gotta love a, a gray guy. Yeah. In a, in a like a fancy suit who pretends to be a gangster. Love hey, it. it's me, the Hulk. <laughs> I'm here to Joe fix it. Is that what he said? That's what he should have said. He walked in the Joe enemy will door. fix it. <laughs> I'm here to Joe fix it. What does that mean, Hulk? I doesn't know. I got a wrench and I'm going to fix your faucet. I'm Joe fix it. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one up is from at gayj06 who tweets, the last call will always hold a special place in my heart. It's beautiful yet haunting. A great one. D Smith at DD Smitty one says, Future Imperfect, probably one of the best good guy turned bad stories ever. That was my pick, D. Smith. I agree with you. Next up, Big Bad Rad Dad at Big Bad Rad Dad 11. Great name. Uh, I started reading comics again in 2017 with Secret Empire. Kept hearing how good Immortal Hulk was through This Week in Marvel and picked up number one to check it out. Ended up collecting the whole run. Fantastic. Um, I love that for you. Also, that was my pick so great choice (laughs) yeah also thank you for taking our recommendations we appreciate that Mm -hmm. kinius t tuthill at kinius tweeted hulk iceman the angel the master mold for the sentinels oh my hang on this is an epic ride pointing to the incredible hulk annual number seven which is just a wild mm, 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 what a sensation 
Next up, we've got an email from Grayson Woznesensky, which said, World War Hulk! Marvel Studios' Thor Ragnarok was great too, though. Which is true. It is excellent. So many good stories. Thank you all for tweeting and writing in and uh, getting hyped with us. With that, it's a wrap. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isola Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Hulk Bulk. Do you want a bulk like the Hulk? Take some Hulk Bulk. The gamma tastes great. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. And their dealings with Hope Bulk turned me from a puny weakling into a big boy. I was a 90 pound weakling and now I'm a big boy. <laughs> also, a southern dandy. <laughs> oh, why not?